Many of us who work in cancer care consider it a privilege and a gift to do so. The gifts that come from this work take many forms. Being part of a patient's cure, helping patients live longer and better when they can't be cured, and helping them have peace and dignity if the end becomes unavoidable. The one that excites us the most is the constant growth of the field and evolution of the treatments. All of this is made possible by ongoing research driven by doctors and patients alike, and it's a gift that keeps on giving. For this holiday, when we're taking a week off from production to celebrate with our loved ones, we'd like to present an encore episode from our archives that highlights how much cancer care has changed as a result of research. We hope you'll enjoy it and wish you and your loved ones a very happy holiday season. You're listening to Cancer Cover. To be an oncologist is an incredible privilege. You meet people at one of the worst times of their lives and they allow you to care for them. You may cure them, they may die, something in between. And it is an incredible privilege as a physician to be able to do that. It's an incredible gift that the patient gives you to allow you to do that. And I think that's something we as oncologists should never forget. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. I sat down with the founders of Green Bay Oncology, Drs. Paul Koch, Jerry Bayer, Skip McGovern, and Jules Blank, as well as Dr. Tony Jaslowski, who's currently in practice, to discuss how a service ethic and team approach was there from GBO's beginning and how we work to keep that alive in GBO's culture today. Here's what they had to say. Jerry, Paul, and I were by ourselves for a long time. Jules was by himself for a long time. Yeah, I was all alone for 10 years. and. It was very hard to uh, take call, as you could imagine. Although at my previous location, the people there were very collegial and they shared call, but that also meant I had to uh, share internal medicine call, which was eh, just not my forte. So I was interested in having some help with call. And I remember distinctly on St. Patrick's Day in 1994, I met with these gents asking them if uh, we could share call. Well, it was a very respectful and collegial ambush. They wanted me to join, and that was their retort. So that's how I got into uh, Green Bay Oncology. It was uh, rather unexpected when I woke up that morning by me. I hope it wasn't a bad choice. (laughs) I went from a good job to a great job. It was fine. I would say one thing, too, and that is is that I at least have been blessed with great people that uh, came and joined. Every person a hard worker, no shirking, uh, no complaining. Uh, We've had phenomenal people that worked and took care of people, just great, great care of people. These guys sitting here, they did great work, great job. Paul was the leader of the band. Um, I have to give him credit for a lot of the things that happened, financial. Uh, we treated ourselves as equal. Uh, we, it promoted working as a team. We did not compete with ourselves for patients. We did not compete with ourselves for uh, 
making more or less money in terms of putting money on the books and things. Um, it really created a great deal of camaraderie. And I give Paul a lot of credit for putting the patient first, understanding where the patients were, what their needs were, and uh, attending to those needs. Specifically, if someone who has metastatic disease and is under treatment for it and has some kind of radiological test, not sending them home for a period of time of uncertainty and anxiety, but getting those results virtually in the time it took for them to walk from the radiology department up to us. The other common thread that I'm sure you noticed working here is the undercurrent of honesty, do the right thing, you know, do something that is good. And that is another, when I look back on the uh, Green Bay Oncology, you know, association that I had, uh, that is one of the things that I, that stands out to me, that Paul handed it down and uh, we all encompassed it. You know, we embraced it, do the right thing, be honest, give good service. And I think that is something that has uh, set us apart from, I don't want to say other groups, but a way that we could have evolved if we didn't follow that example. And I know your question didn't per se expect to lead us down this path. But again, when I think about what Green Bay Oncology has you know, meant to me, I keep that in mind. And that's not only my opinion. It's kind of curious, uh, since I've retired four and a half years ago, I've had the chance to talk to other retirees from competing groups, or even competing systems. And they mentioned that they felt Green Bay Oncology gave great service and gave it honestly, willingly, et cetera. All the things that you would, that you would want in a good corporation. So again, not only is it my opinion, but I've heard it from other people. What would the photo negative of Green Bay Oncology have been? had it gone to the dark side. Well, as uh, Skip alluded to a few seconds ago, it could have it could have evolved such that it were a business solely targeting money because we were getting a lot of business. We were getting a lot of patience. We could have evolved in that direction. It could have even had gone as far as fraudulent practices, uh, dishonesty, etc. We didn't have that. What does an oncology practice driven primarily by money do that one driven primarily service doesn't do. For instance, a, um, in a, a practice driven solely by money may exclude Medicare or Medicaid groups. For instance, the people of Michigan have a much poorer insurance coverage than the people of Wisconsin. We could have excluded them and said, no, I haven't got time for you. I'm taking the well-paying person in lieu of a person from the UP. We didn't do that. And you could extend that to marginalized groups because they tend to be poorer or rural people. They tend to have poorer insurance and, and also be sicker. It could have evolved along those tracks. It didn't. Do different I, medical choices get made sometimes beyond patient selection? Are, are there, are there, is there a way to make different treatment choices uh, when it's driven primarily by money? That could happen. That could happen. We, we talked amongst ourselves about what do we feel was the appropriate way to treat XYZ patient, and that's what drove our uh, service. Rather than saying there's a better margin if we use ABC instead of you know XYZ, we didn't do that. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. 
A cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and alone, just when you need support the most. I'm Addison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers at Green Bay Oncology, we know that meaningful connection brings strength and healing. Sharing the experience in a safe space with others on a similar path is often powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual cancer support group facilitated for you and your loved ones. Wherever you are on your cancer journey, you're always welcome. To join us, visit gboncology.com events. Next, I asked about when, why, and how clinical trials participation became a key part of GBO's service ethic and what it took to get up and running. Jerry, what can you tell us about how clinical research trials participation started at GBO? Well, it started soon after I, I joined Paul Koch. Um, I uh, had the, first of all, great interest in realizing that we needed to learn a lot more in order to do progress in this field. I felt that they weren't getting enough patients at university centers and so forth, that they were going to need to have people at private practice to contribute to improve the field. I had the privilege of knowing Paul Carbone at UW-Madison, who was a friend of my wife's family and got to know him pretty well. And he certainly was in favor of, you know, letting me join the ECOG. And so our early research was through University of Wisconsin and through uh, their center. And uh, our, our first research, it was in its infancy when we started. One of our people that helped us, she was uh, uh, drew blood and so forth, but she helped uh, coordinate and, 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 and fill out the forms. But it started slow, but slow, slowly built up. And we, we persisted, and I was happy to see it get off the ground. I will say that we really made great advances and strides forward when uh, Tom uh, Safner really, you know, took up, you know, some of the slack and really made it into a really great program. So he really was instrumental also in helping to get our program to get really off the ground. I give credit to Jerry for starting it. I remember him hand copying his charts onto forms to send them out. And he was doing that when I was started in 1982. And when Tom joined us, he came from UW and had been familiar with Carbone and clinical research. And he certainly pushed it forward a great deal. I mean, to the point where I give credit where credit is due. Uh, as a result of Tom's work, we won several national awards as a consequence of our participation in these trials. I was president of the IRB for 21 years or something and got to watch, after my retirement, all the work that was done. It was extremely impressive. I think we can all say that we look back on clinical trials as a source of pride mm -hmm. that uh, GBO you know, spearheaded. A lot of private practices would not do that. It was uh, for a variety of reasons. We put a lot of people on a lot of different trials and did a lot of very groundbreaking work. So, it's, again, it's a source of pride, I think. And it's carried on. I mean, it continues to grow and grow and grow. And now we're in Encore. We're in the top 5% of Encores for a number of patients we accrue across the country. It's amazing what we have built upon the shoulders and the drugs we've been able to bring locally 
to help these people. It's amazing the new breakthroughs and we can offer it, you know, early on to help people. What did it take to make that a reality? I mean, you describe an, an awful, awful lot of paperwork and applications and grant applications. And then, you know, what was the day-to-day reality of that like for all of you? The amount of work put into it was going to be worth it in the long run. And you just, you know, just did it. What was required of you? Well, first of all, I think I did fight a little bit in the IRB trying to get some of these protocols approved. Some of the people felt that it should not be done in private practice, it should only be done at universities. So I had to deal with that problem. But, uh, you know, soon they understood it, well, that it was important enough people were on, were on our side to, to continue it here to start with. For some of our listeners, what is an IRB? Institutional Review Board is what it stands for. And basically what they want to make sure is that these protocols are fair and that they are looking at a problem that is reasonable and not too toxic and so forth. I think the biggest requirement for protocol work is time to sit and to explain to the patient in a manner that they can comprehend what it is, how it benefits them, how it benefits society, the risks and benefits of participating. Uh, it takes an element of time to sit down with the patient and explain to them and, and have them understand what's going on. Well, what are those benefits? Why should it matter to the community and to patients and to providers that clinical research is being advanced at, within their community? I think that the answer to that is in the little quiz we had about the life expectancy in the beginning of our careers versus the life expectancies now. I mean, that's why it's a benefit. It's moving the treatment of this disease forward. It's making it a disease that people can live with that's not lethal. That's a huge improvement. What are the benefits to the local community and to people in that community for clinical research to be happening where they live. You bring the best quality care locally to the people. They don't have to travel all the way down to the university setting. They can get, you know, the best care, the best quality right outside their back door. And same thing with going to outreach clinics. There's no reason being a cancer patient, I should have to travel hundreds of miles to get the best care. I should be able to get it delivered directly to me, and that's where clinical trials does help. I'm going to step in here and edit Tony's comment. By using a protocol, the patient gets exactly the same care here that they're going to get at MD Anderson or that they're going to get at Wisconsin University or at the Mayo Clinic because patients on a particular protocol, a particular research project, if you will, are treated very specifically in exactly the same institution to institution. So it's not necessarily just good care, it's identical care. Which is, you know, we talked earlier about standardizing care to the highest quality possible for everyone so that we're all doing it the same. Standardization of care is the ultimate vision for for where we want this to go so that everybody can have the best results. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com.